Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Glad you're here. Ushers, come forward if you would. We'll share in our offering. As we share in our offering, I just want to remind you of a simple truth that we practice and believe, and that is everything we have comes from God's gracious hand, and we give back to him. And just so you know, as you give uh, and give boldly and generously, not only does the church grow, not only do we allow ministry to happen, but if you know anything about God's principles of giving, you give, he gives back, and he blesses over and over again. So we'll share in that, and thank you as you as we give together. I need to highlight uh, just two things real quick. One's a statement, one's a highlight. We have a baptismal service coming up uh, November the 13th. So we've got a month plus, but we need to be ready for it. And because to get baptized, well, we need to hear from you, need to hear your story, your walk with God. Uh, we do these one-on-ones where you can sit down and talk to one of our elders or one of our leaders to share your faith and where you're at now in that journey. If you've got children that you'd like to have baptized, uh, younger children, we have a class for them that explains it on their level, talks to mom and dad and well as understanding it. So all of that happens now getting ready for the 13th. Um, you can go to church center and you can hit the, the QR code. It will take you to the right page for the baptism. Uh, you can go to church center as well for if, if ch- children are interested in either baptism or in dedication, the dedication of children, all of that coming up and taking place. So listen, here's the deal. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you would say yes, I believe and follow Jesus, I am. That's where I'm at. That's who I am. If you say that and you haven't been baptized, you have to stop and ask yourself, why wouldn't I do that? Because God's word is very clear that that's part of the steps in our walking with him and following him. That's very Ushers, did you lose the baskets again? I'm sorry, I can't help. Mario was, you know, one of our head ushers. And when we brought the, usher, the offering basket back after COVID, I said, I'm not sure I want to do that because you guys always lose a basket somewhere. <clears throat> so they don't, they don't. Your money is safe. Please no, they don't lose them. I just give them a hard time. Uh, if you've not been baptized, very sincerely, you got to ask yourself why. Because it is what scripture commands. God says, do this. It's one of the next steps in your walk with God. Hopefully you'll do that and join us uh, and be a part of it. If you've not been in one of our services, it's a fantastic day, an exciting day. You can be a part of that. Last thing is just a quick announcement. If you haven't been to the cider mill yet, if you haven't gone to your fresh cider yet, you don't have to go personally. Just go out to the back patio following the service uh, out in the tent. We've got cider from Chapin's right down the road. We like to support the local businesses. Chapin's Cider will be out there this week and next the tents up two more weeks and then of course the back patio goes back to getting ready for winter but right now cider's out there so go and enjoy yourself with that and and participate if you would this morning we want to continue our series one question we're looking at this one central question that question is what's the wise thing for me to do and we've been talking about this because this one question is so critical and it applies to every situation in life. One question that you can apply in every moment, every situation, every season, every age of life, and it works and, it, and it's powerful in fact. Now we're not just asking the, the, the question, though asking the question by itself is a good thing, but if you really want to get it so it has high impact, if you really want to ask the question in such a way that becomes personal to you and then you can apply it, we started by saying add a couple things to it like this in light of my past decisions in light of my past experience what's the wise thing for me to do because your past will tell you a lot and then we said in light of your current situation what's the wise thing for me to do because you find yourselves in unique moments of life and then third we said ask the question in light of my future hopes and dreams where I want to be in the future what's the wise thing for me to do so that's we've been at that's what we're talking about 
looking at those three areas, posing that question. I am so encouraged by the number of you that have spoken to me, that have said things like this. You know, Scott, I, I've been, I did what you said. I, I took the questions and I kind of laid them on top of my past experiences, my past choices. And a number of have, have had comments like, when I do that, I can't help but think I would have had a lot less pain had I done that. And I go, I, I got it. I'm, in, I'm there too. That's where I've been. One person said it this way, so pointed. She said this, I wonder... And I can't help but think if my life would be different today had I applied these questions years ago. And that's true. We stop and we look and say, because when you ask these questions, it really gets to the heart of the issue. Now, we also learned something else last week, and that is you can ask the question and you can know the right thing to do and then still not do it. So asking the question is not really the issue. It's the starting place. But you can know what's right to do. You can know the wise thing to do and still not do it. Um, and please re be reminded of the fact that God will not force you to do the right thing. God will not force you to do the wise thing. One of the key principles of Scripture is this. God has given us free choice. God will never rescind that. God will never say, ah, oh, I'm going to pull your free choice. I'm going to force my will upon you. God strong arms no one ever. If you feel like God is somehow twisting your arm, then you got the wrong God. Because it's not, not the way the God of the universe works. You have the right to choose, painfully. And we learned last week from Solomon, from the wisdom of King Solomon, we learned that there are people who will know what the right thing is to do and not do it. Uh, what kind of people don't do the wise thing? Well, Solomon told us there's three types. He put them in categories. He's, first, there's the simple. The simple are the people who just don't know any better. They're the clueless, no experience, oftentimes young. You know, you show them wisdom and they just go, ah, I don't think so, because they just don't know any better. That's the simple. Then there are those people who exactly know what the wise thing is to do, but they just don't care. They don't care about the wise thing. Solomon calls them the fools. Side note for you, we all live in one of these categories at different times on and off our lives. So if you're living the fool right now, don't feel bad. You know, I was a fool yesterday, I'll be one tomorrow. Maybe I'm not right now, but I'll, I'll join you. So don't worry about that. We live in all these different areas. But the person who knows the wise thing refuses to do it because they don't care. Solomon says that's a foolish person. And then he also says there are those that are mockers. And the mockers are the ones that not only do they not do the right thing, but they mock the people who do the right thing. Remember these words, people who are committed to doing the wrong things not only don't want to be around the people who do the right things, they usually hate the people who are doing the right things. So let me give you a free tip here. Let me give you a tip. This is well worth the price of the offering you just gave, just so you know. So value added, here we go, value added. If in your Christian life, you find yourself withdrawing from Christians... You find yourself saying, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be around them. I don't want to be in church. I don't want to be in that setting. I don't feel like hearing another sermon. If you find yourself withdrawing from being around other believers, please stop and take a very good look at your life because either you are in trouble or you are headed for trouble. I've been doing this long enough to tell you right now that when that happens over and over and over again, believers begin to insulate themselves from other believers, from the other people who will say to them, you're wrong, for the other people who will say, hey, listen, what are you doing? This is risky. Don't go down this road. We begin to insulate ourselves. If you find yourself doing that, stop and take a look. You might be in trouble already or you're getting there. And if you'll stop and look, you can save yourself a lot of trouble. Now, let's look at our, our text. The text we're going to look at this week and then next week is where we started our journey. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. 
Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, no impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Paul basically says this, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to live your life differently than the world. He said, you know, there's a good, you know, they can use excuses. You used to live this way, but you're supposed to now live this way. And what's the this way? You're supposed to live differently than the culture. You're, so, you're supposed to see other people as important. You're supposed to honor them like you would honor yourself. And even as honor God, not quite that high, but you put people in a place of honor. He said, you are to be people of moral purity, and that is not the culture in which we live. Those are critical things, he says. Live differently if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. People should tell by the way you live. Now, in these next two weeks, I want to apply this question, what's the wise thing to do, in two very specific areas of our lives. A little heads up. Next week, we're going to apply this question to the area of sex and morality. We're going to deal with the issue of sex. So make sure next week, make sure if you have young children, make sure next week they're in children's ministries. And if you have teenagers, make sure they're sitting in the front rows, okay? So next week we're going to get at it and get into it there. So just be, you've you've got your warning. What's really great in preaching, I've learned through all the years you can preach on two subjects and fill the house. Preach on sex and preach on the second coming of Jesus, end times. Man, people come to hear either one of those. So maybe I'll talk about sex in the end times. That might really get to people here next week. So here we go. So come back next week. Now, this week I want to talk about time. The issue of time and the wise use of our time. And so look what Paul also adds. So he says, live your life differently. And here's how we, how we left a couple weeks ago. And then he says this, verse 15, be very careful then. There's that then says, so light everything else. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So Paul says, you're going to live differently, but it's not going to be easy. And, and the culture is going against you, so he says, so be wise. Now look what Job adds to it. Just put that with the verse on the screen. Take a look at what Job says. Job says this, a person's days are determined. A person's days are determined. I mean, you've already decreed them. You've already put the number in the bank, so to speak. Uh, all the months and the days, they're all in place. That's already done, and they can't be changed. And so Job says, listen, here's how it works in life. That you're born, and as soon as you're born, you know, even before that, you know, God's all-knowing, all all-powerful presence, but you're born, cha-ching, it's all in the bank. All your days are already deposited. 
You can't add to them. You can't take it away. Now, please know, Job believed that. Job believed that God decreed the days, and we don't change that. And all the biblical writers, all the biblical characters, they all believe that. Now, it's interesting. You may or may not believe that. Because this idea that all the days are decreed, already put in place, and we can't change it, it's kind of a fun debate. Because a guy like me comes along and says, yeah, but what if I throw myself in front of a train? Uh, did I just shortchange God's days? Somehow God has all those days numbered and he knows I'm going to jump in front of a train. And so you can, no, I don't think so. So the fun thing is we can go back and forth and debate that and debate it all you want, but I'll, I'll arrive at the one place where there's no debate. I'll help you out. No debate is this. Your time is running out. Came to be encouraged? Welcome to Essex Lines Church. <laughs> Glad you're here. Your time is running out. That's it. My time is running out. You have a limited amount of time, period. We are 12 weeks away from the end of the year, end of 2022. I don't write checks very often. The other day I wrote one. I don't, I mean, usually it's all online now. I wrote 21, 2021. I got to get this right. I mean, I've only got 12 more weeks to get that right. But here's the deal. The end of the year is coming and you can't stop it. And we're going to be in 2023 very shortly. Time's ticking. Time's running out. And what that means for us is then this. For far more important than what time it is, is the question, what are you doing with your time? If time is ticking, and it is, then the bigger question isn't what time is, where we spend a lot of our time. What time is it where I have to be next, what I got to do next? The bigger issue, the question you ought to be asking yourself is, how am I using my time? Your time is your most valuable asset that you have, and the reason it's so valuable is because it's limited. If you had unlimited time, it wouldn't have value. It's because you have limited time that it has value. Because let me think about this. You can lose money and you can go out and get more money. You can lose friends and hopefully you have the ability to go out and get more friends. You have that ability. You can lose your stuff, you can lose your belongings and you can go get more stuff and get more belonging. But there's two key things that you can't do with time. Number one, you can't get more of it. Number two, you can't count how much you have left. Think about that. This thing that we prize, I can't tell you how much I have left and I can't, I can't get it back. Now, most of us are old enough to know that we can look back at times in our lives, we can look back at a different season in our lives, and we can see the times where we wasted precious time. So to get us focused here on this thought process this morning, I want to give you four observations about time. These are not unique or original to me. And when I give them to you, just so you know, right up front, I'm going to tell you these four things. And I'm going to take a little different approach uh, that we're not going to go through hardly any more scriptures. Uh, I've read the passage. I'm not going to tear a text apart and look at it like I normally do. So don't feel you need to have to, you know, write me or call me. I didn't abandon scripture. We're just taking a little week where I'm going to apply some truths because the great thing about scripture is full of truth. Though I, I'm not going to highlight each one verse by verse. But you'll see as we go. And as we walk through this, a couple observations. Um, as I give these to you, and any one of them, not one of them, are you going to go, oh, I didn't know that. These are all things we know. Now, there's some things you probably haven't thought about, some things you haven't pondered, but there's not going to be any new information. We'll kind of walk them through, but no surprises. But these observations, they make an exclamation point to this issue of the question, what's the wise thing to do? Now, remember this fundamental truth as we begin these, these four observations. Here's a fundamental truth that every follower of Christ should believe, and if you don't, you should, and if you do believe it, you should act on it, and that is this fundamental truth. I said it earlier of the offering. We believe everything we have 
comes from God's hand. Everything. Everything that we have in this life is on loan to us. Our money is on loan. Our houses are on loan. Our lives are on loan. Our breath is on loan. I I don't guarantee whether I take a next breath or not. It's all on loan to me. And so my time is on loan. If you can't take it with you, it's not really yours. And you can't. So that means that it's on loan to us from God and he expects us to be stewards of it. That's a principle that determines how we live our lives. If you don't practice that principle, you're missing out on this incredible principle of God. Now, God gives us all of these things on loan for us to manage. We manage our time as one of those key issues. Specifically, God says, manage it well. You see, the reason why time is so important is because your time is your life. It marks who you are, how you live. So four observations, here we go. Observation number one, the investing of small amounts of time over time is cumulative. Observation number one is that the investing of small amounts of time over time, time and time again, just keep doing these little bits of time, they are cumulative. You get this. It makes little simple sense. If you exercise 30 minutes a day, three to four times a week, week after week after week, year after year after year, it's cumulative. It has an effect on your body. You can see that effect. It's cumulative. If you as a family, you've got a younger family and you have family dinner together, four nights a week, five nights a week, it's cumulative. It builds up. If you eat right, you decide, I'm going to eat right. And you do that week after week, month after month, year after year. You do that. It builds up. It's cumulative. Spiritually, you have quiet time with God. You read your Bible five to seven days a week. Week after week, month after month, it begins to build up. Just a few minutes And it actually builds up into something. If you join a small group, you join a small group, you meet once a week, you do that for two or three or four years, that adds up. I can guarantee you right now that it's very doubtful that a one-time visit to a small group, you popped in for one meeting, is not going to be life-changing for you. However, every week, three or four years, life-changing. It's cumulative. You got it. Now, here's where we get in trouble. The problem with this idea of being cumulative, and it's true, it is cumulative, but the problem is this, there's no benefit in one simple installment added, and there's no real loss any of one installment pulled out and subtracted. Let me explain it for you. It goes like this. That's why it's so easy for us to talk ourselves in and out of exercising. Let's say I finally start exercising. I'll talk about me. I won't talk about you. Let's say I finally start exercising, and you come along and say, hey, let's exercise today. Let's go to lunch. Now, number one, that's all you have to say. You don't have to coax me or convince me. I'm all in. But let's go to lunch and let's go to a ball game. Okay, let's go. But it's real easy. Instead of me saying, oh, but I should exercise, I go, it's only one. I'm only going to miss one. Because you see, in my head, I go, missing one's no big deal. And that's actually true. That's the problem. Is that missing one is no big deal and adding one is no big deal. There, meaning it's, it doesn't really affect. You can't see the effect of either way in any direction. If you've exercised in, uh, for years and years and you decide to go work out uh, after one workout, you, have, you haven't exercised. Here's an example. So you don't exercise for 30 years and obviously you decide, you know, I'm going to do it. And so you go and you exercise one time. I guarantee people aren't going to go, wow, you look jacked. <laughs> Not going to do it. You know, you're going to walk out feeling like, you know, look at me and they're going to say, yeah, you need to do something. That's how it's going to go. So one time doesn't do it for you. So you get that. Now here's what's hard. You see, what makes the difference, listen carefully, 
what makes the difference in the most important areas of your life is going to be based upon the consistent application of little bits of time over a long period of time. In the most important areas of life, that's critical. Why? Because small amounts of time are cumulative. They build and they add up. Here's observation number two. Neglect is cumulative as well. Neglect is also cumulative. If you decide not to exercise 30 minutes a day, three to four days a week, week after week, year after year, it's cumulative. If you decide not to eat healthy week after week, month after month, year after year, cumulative. If you decide not to attend church, if you decide not to be a part of a small group, if you decide not to read your Bible, you decide not to have worship time and quiet time with God, it's cumulative. If you said, yeah, we're too busy, we're not going to have family dinner together uh, three to four days a week. It will happen if we can. It's neg- neglect is also cumulative. Now, here's the problem with neglect. It's so easy. Neglect is so easy. It's the easiest thing in life to do. The easiest thing in life to do is to not do anything. That's neglect. And neglect is so costly because typically what we're talking about here, the neglect piece is always in the most important areas of life. That's why it's so costly. Because it's the areas that matter most. You know, the bottom line is, and and what happens is that when we do go through the process of neglect, don't forget it's cumulative, which means this, there is a cost and there is a price, but you don't ever see it right away until all of a sudden it's upon you. It goes like this. Neglect your body, neglect eating well and bad eating habits for 60 to 7 years, and then you get this doctor's report, and he goes, you know, if you would have, and all of a sudden we go, oh, if only I would have, it's cumulative. It's cumulative. Negative is cumulative as well. Neglect your marriage for 20 years, and then your wife goes, oh, I'm done. It's cumulative. You are too busy for the kids, so you've got too many things going, and so you really don't invest in your kids, and then 30 or 40, they're, 40, they're 30, 40 years old, and they're on their second or third marriage, they can't keep a job, or you're going to visit them in the, the jail or the hospital because of all sorts of issues, and you kind of go, oh, if only. See, neglect is cumulative, and it happens spiritually to people all the time. Neglect your spiritual health, no quiet time, no worship time with God, don't read your Bible, don't attend church. And then crisis comes. And when the crisis comes, people go, God is so distant. Why is he so distant? Well, just so you know, he's not any more distant than you've made him. You know, he stayed put, you keep walking. And what happens is the crisis comes, and also don't forget, when we refuse to do the right thing, we want, don't want to be with people who are doing the right thing, which means now I'm in crisis, and now I feel like, oh, where's all the people I need to support me? Well, I've pushed them away over a length of time. So the second principle is neglect is also cumulative. Let me give you a third observation about time. Third observation, you're going to say, yeah, that's true. I know that, but I probably haven't thought about it. And that's this one. Random actions have no cumulative value. Random actions have no cumulative value. Uh, You probably didn't think about it, but you probably should because these random actions are probably the most part of our lives in many ways. The truth is our lives are full of random actions, things that we do over and over and over again randomly, and yet with no real benefit to them or cumulative, uh, you know, effect. It kind of goes like this. So, so you are supposed to exercise. You know what? I will not put that on you. I was supposed to exercize. We'll make it about me, not you. 
And so you say, so Scott, instead of exercising, what did you do during those small increments of time when you should have been exercising? What did you do? Well, first of all, I have to stop and think about it. I go, well, I have a nice breakfast. I'm a couple days, I'm sure. Uh, I uh, slept in. You know, sleep is good too. Don't forget, you need to sleep. Did that. I read the paper. Oh, I love reading the paper. I still like getting a paper in my hands. Every now and then, if I'm traveling, I go by a New York Times, a Sunday edition. Man, I can just hold that thing and read every single page. So I probably read the paper a couple times. Uh, you know, I, I check my news feeds. I like to check the, what's happening in the world. Um, oh, email, I did my email. Facebook, you know, I've got three followers on Instagram. I've got to keep them updated to my life, you know. <laughs> Uh, so I got to do that, you know, so I'll give you my list of things, but here's the deal. Look at all those random actions, no cumulative value, none of them. So what happens is I took something very, very important and I substitute for it random acts and I get nothing to show for it. Pile them up, got nothing to show for it. What did you do instead of having family dinner four or five nights a week? What did you instead of having quiet time? What did you, instead of reading your Bible, what did you do instead of that hour a week going to small group? What did you, what did you replace that with? Now, if I ask yourself that question, there's two things that happen. Number one, you'll sit there and probably not know what you did because don't forget the random and you don't remember all the random things you did. And second of all, even if you could remember them all, you'd look at them and get all done and go, nothing. They have no real extended value to me. Now, this is important. We don't typically neglect the really important things of life for other really important things of life. You neglect the really important things of life for things that just don't matter. That's typically how it goes. They all add up. But random is not cumulative. That's key. Let me give you, let me give you a last one. Last observation, then we'll move into application. Last observation is this. In the areas that matter most, this is a tough one, I know. In the, matter, in the areas of life that matter most, you can't make up for misspent time. In the areas that matter the most, you can't make up for that wasted time. It, it looks like this. Remember in school when, you know, you didn't pay attention and you kind of thought you'd breathe through this thing. And all of a sudden, you're looking at your grades and you're going, man, I'm in trouble. And I got to get at least a B to pass the course because the, te- the teacher, the professor said he got a final exam. It's worth 80% of your grade. Well, you know, 80, you know, you need, you need help. So what do you do? For two days, you do nothing but cram. The night before, you're up all night. You know, we've, been, we've done that. Up all night, cramming for this thing. And, and you get the C, get, you know, get the C, get the B, whatever you need. You got it. You just got through. Did it. Or maybe it goes like this. You uh, wake up in the morning, you happen to wake up early and you realize, oh, I forgot I'm leading the team meeting at work today. So you jump up and you get to work a little early, you throw some things together and you lead the team meeting and it goes well. In fact, you get all done and somebody goes, man, that was great. And now you're thinking, man, I should procrastinate more often. I can just pull this stuff off just like that. Well, here's the problem. Make sure you understand this. When it comes to time spent, you can't cram. When it comes to time that should have been spent and wasn't, you can't cram. All-nighters don't make up for the most important areas of life. An all-nighter does not make you spiritually mature. An all-nighter doesn't, doesn't all of a sudden make your walk with God so wonderful. It doesn't work that way. Let me give you an example. So you have a family, and you don't have family dinner together, so it just doesn't happen. And a side note for you, very sincerely, when our kids were home, when our kids were young, my wife, Diane, saw to it that at least four times a week, at least four, probably five or six for most time, 
She made sure that one thing we had is we had a family dinner together. She made sure that we were all at that table, and this was true even during the sports and football, field hockey, and cheerleading years. She always made sure we had dinner together, and I want you to hear this. That one thing was perhaps the single greatest contributing factor to the health and the values of our family, the health of our family spiritually and emotionally and just the relationally as a family, that dinner together. Now, some of you were thinking, hey, wait, you're the pastor. It was probably your family prayer time. It was probably your family devotions. Nope, we didn't have family devotions. We had dinner together. And some of you are going, oh, you didn't have devotions? Just relax. We had dinner together. Well, we did have devotions. Well, it looked like this. Every Sunday after church, we critique the message that day. So that's one thing. <clears throat> That's one thing we did regularly for our devotional time. Let's, let's critique the sermon. That was a, that's always a fun time. I can't tell you how many dinners I get to be, go home to dinner and go, okay, let's go. Here we go. Um, but listen, what we would do over those family dinners, we talk about life. And guess what we did? We talk about all the issues of life going on, and we talked about them in the context of what? A Christian worldview and biblical principle. Guess what that's called? Devotions. We just didn't tell them. We did. But don't get so wrapped up in, in the wrong things. And I want to say that the health of our family was in, in a key part because my wife made sure we had dinner together. Now, get back to this illustration. So you, you look at your family, and all of a sudden you realize the kids hit the teenage years, and you're, and you're losing them. You know, you don't have dinner together, and you're losing them. You're like, boy, we got to do something. So you announce them, listen, clear your schedules. This Saturday, we're having breakfast together. Eight o'clock sharp, big breakfast in the kitchen. Everyone should be there, sit down. And then you say this, and by the way, breakfast is done. Stay right here because we're talking because we're going to have lunch together. And when you get done, we'll cook the dishes, but stay right here because we're having dinner together. We're going to have a 10-hour meal together all day long. Does that help you? Does that work? Nope, it doesn't. So you get the picture. That misspent time, you can't just go and cram it and and regroup it. It doesn't work that way. You see, here's the problem. You can't cram for your health. You can't cram for your marriage. And you can't cram for your relationship with your kids. And you really can't cram for your spiritual walk with God. And some of us think that if we just kind of high power it, that kind of makes up for it. Years, I referee soccer years ago. Every year for soccer, I should say, in August, we have to take a physical fitness test. You got to go out and you got to do these different things. You get graded to make sure you can still do it. And I do that every year. I've done it every year. But one particular summer, I was busy. I didn't, I didn't do any prep, no planning, no nothing. I'm days away and I'm thinking, ah, I got to do something. And one thought is, don't do anything to that day and just get there, run scared. You know, if you run scared, you can get anything and run scared. But I said, no, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going, to, I'm going to power work out. So like three, four days ahead of time, I worked longer. I worked harder. I ran further. You know I mean? Whatever. So I, mean, I dropped. The problem was for the next four or five days, I couldn't move. <laughs> Everything hurt. Everything didn't work right. It was the worst field test I ever took because I couldn't get anything moving. And so the thought process, we keep thinking that somehow spiritually, with spiritual maturity, you know, I'll, I'll just put like a high course weekend in. And man, that's really going to do it. It doesn't work that way. Spiritual maturity takes time and constant deposits of time over time regularly. Now, friends, hear this out. We're going to move to application. Those four principles I just gave you, that's the way that God made the world to work. 
By God's design, the most important things in life all fall under those observations of time. Little parts are cumulative. Negative is cumulative. Random doesn't amount to much and you can't get back misspent time. God put it in place that way. So seeing that investing small amounts of time is cumulative and seeing that neglect is also cumulative and seeing that random has no value at the end of the day and seeing that it's so important in the important areas of life that you can't make up misspent time. What does God say? to that. Apostle Paul, back to our text, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, pretty straightforward. Well, then be careful how you live. Be careful then, look what he says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, I like this translation. This is the, uh, uh, the contemporary English version. Look what it says. Act like people with good sense, and not like fools. I just like the way that sounds. Act like people with good sense, not like fools. These are evil times. Look what he says. So make every minute count. So in light of all of this, God would say, use your time wisely. Now, isn't it interesting that of all the things that the Apostle Paul could apply this principle to, one of the things he chooses is your time. That's That's significant. When he talks about wisdom, he talks about the use of your time because they go together. Paul understands that time equals life. It's your most valuable commodity. You don't get any extra and you can't save it up for the future. So if you're going to live wisely, then you're going to have to think carefully about how you spend your time. Now remember week one we said this. We said we gave a definition for what it means to have evil days. I'll remind you that again. Because we see that and a lot of us go, oh, yeah, the days are evil. Don't forget, Apostle Paul wrote this some 2,000 years ago. They, they evil were, the, the days were evil then. And they're evil now. And go, oh, they're more evil now. No, they're not more evil. They're just evil. And remember what evil means because this helps. If you get this definition, it under, helps you understand how it is that Paul can say it and how we can say it, and we're not competing with who has the more evil time. This is the principle. He says this. This is what the scriptures means by evil days. The culture in which we live is always moving away from God. The culture in which we live is never taking us closer to God. The culture in which we live is always moving us away from God, which means this then. This makes sense. That's why the Apostle Paul says, be careful how you walk. Because if you decide to pick up your feet and to go with the current, the current will not take you closer to God. The current will take you further away from God, number one. And number two, if you just go with the culture, the culture is going to take you places you do not want to be. The culture is going to end you up in places that are going to be trouble. And so he says, well, then be careful how you live because the current culture is taking you in the wrong direction. This is an important concept to get and understand. The reason that the culture of the day can't help you live your time wisely is because the current culture does not care anything about the past. The current culture cares nothing about the future. All the current culture cares about is this moment right now. Which means, friends, is this. Culture cares nothing about what's happened in your past. When I say to you, but based on the the truth of God's word, ask yourself the question, in light of my past experience, what's the wise thing for me to do right now, God? Culture cares nothing about your past experience. Culture cares nothing about you saying, well, based on my hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do right now? Culture cares nothing about your hopes and dreams. All culture cares about is being satisfied right now in this moment. Let me just tell you that is one dangerous way to live. 
If you're going to live based on, well, what's happy? What makes me happy? What is most fun? What's exhilarating right now in this moment? Culture cares nothing about your past, cares nothing about your future. So Paul then says to Christians, he says, listen, followers of Jesus, come on. Time is short. Be careful. Be careful how you live. And because time is short, use your time wisely. Now, just before I give you our closing question to think about, I want to make sure you understand this. I'm not talking about the end of all fun. See, some of you are going, oh boy, you know, okay, I'm looking at a whole lifetime at church. You know, I like him and all, but I don't want to be here for hours. Well, you already are, but I don't want to be here for hours. Uh, small group, Bible study. I mean, no more golf. Uh, so, you know, and just please, okay, let me stop right now. So it doesn't mean no more golf. It doesn't mean no more Judge Judy. It doesn't mean you can't watch Dr. Phil. It doesn't mean no more Sunday NFL football. By the way, the Vikings, my team played at 930, so I've got texts all morning on what's going on. Let me just check real quick. Okay. Um, no more, you know, it doesn't mean no more football. It doesn't mean I can't watch, you can't watch the Red Sox or the Yankees anymore. Just a side note, if you, you can't watch the Red Sox in October anyway right now. Um, <clears throat> just saying, you, you can watch the Yankees still, but you can't watch Red Sox. Just saying. So, so none of that. That's extremism. And so you find yourself saying, uh, hey, where this is going, you don't have to. Because God is not the author of a horrible life. He's the author of the best life ever. And every good thing comes from who? Him. So it's a good thing God is not saying no more good things. So don't go there. But here's the question we'll end with. In light of all that we're talking about, in light of all these principles of time, where in your life do you need to begin making consistent deposits of time? And if you say nowhere that I can think of, then man, you are buying into the lie. In light of everything we've talked about, where in your life do you need to start making consistent deposits of time, a little bit of time, consistently, day after day, month after month, week after week, month after month, year after year? Where do you need to do that? The truth is, for some of us, if we're honest, we have some pretty bad habits and some patterns that we've developed. For some of us, we've racked up some huge debt. For some of us, we've damaged a whole bunch of relationships. For some of us, it's been a marriage that's been neglected or kids that have been neglected but for some of us as well, it's been a long, long time since you engaged in any kind of spiritual discipline. Since you opened the Bible on your own to study, to read. Since you've had a quiet time with God. Since you've sat down by yourself in quietness and, and played a worship song and just spent time worshiping God. For some of us, it's been a long, long time. In light of what we've talked about, where do you need to start investing some regular deposits of time? Let me give you a specific application First of all, to those of you who are, well, to those who are single. If you're single, if you're single, and, and I'll say it may be in that younger group, uh, not married yet, and my hope would be that you want to be married, I hope you're married someday. But if you're in a younger group, even if you're newly married, let me just give you a little challenge of something that those of us who are veterans of life have learned, and that is this. There's going to come a time in your life when you're going to be further down the road and you'll be full of careers and maybe kids and families, all sorts of things. And you're going to find yourself looking at this moment in your life, but looking back at this moment, and you're going to say to yourself, what did I do with all that time I had? What did I do with all that time? I mean, good night. I could have, I could have written a novel or two. I could have solved world hunger. I mean, I could have found a cure for 
cancer and brought peace to the world all the time I had back then. And you don't have to just be single or just young, but I will say this. So our first church before here, I should say our church before here was in Detroit, and it was a smaller setting, and we were doing a lot of stuff, and I felt so busy. I was so pressed for time. I, I couldn't figure out what would I do with my time. But I look back at that now, and I think, man, what did I do with all that time I had? Those of you who've been around for a while, isn't that where you end up? You look, you look at, often look back and think, what did I do with that? So if you're in that category, let me say to you, in light of your current circumstance, what are you doing with your time right now? Where do you need to be investing some small amounts of time so that later you do look back and say, this is what I did with that time and this is what I accomplished. If you're retired, I'm not letting you off the hook. Retired people, what are you doing with your time? The small investments that matter and the things that matter most. To all of us, in light of your past experiences, in light of your current circumstance, and in light of your future hopes and dreams, where do you need to begin making some small deposits of time constantly over time? Let's wrap up. I've shared this story before, but forgive me as I share it again. Some of you might recall it, but I need to share it because it was one moment in my life where the spotlight of my time and the wise thing was as clear and as glaring as it has ever been ever in my life. So Diane and I moved here from Detroit. Uh, we moved here our first Sunday here in Essex Lion Church. We had about 185 people. And um, we had two children. We had a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter. Oldest was named Sarah. This middle one is Dana. And we didn't have an Adam yet. Adam was born here in Vermont. One year after we got here, we got here in April. One year after we got here, we started a building project, building this building. And man, we threw ourselves in. And of course, the price came back, it was high. So we said, well, we'll do the painting. We did the things we could do, we did ourselves. And so what that meant is for the course of a year, we were here as a family, we were here every single day working along with many other church people. Diane would come up with the kids and we'd be painting and the kid, we'd go paintbrush the kids and let them paint the floor. Uh, we trained them, don't do the walls, do the floor. Though I realized that kids could paint better than some who were here painting a volunteer basis. But they painted the floor. And if, if you happen to be here someday, we'd tear up some carpets to replace them. You'll see my kids' handiwork when they were playing. And we'd tell them, hey, thank you, we need that painted. Okay, they'd paint that floor. And then we'd stop for dinner. And then uh, we'd have dinner together, and then Diane would take the kids home, go to bed. I would stay and work till oftentimes till midnight or later. Then we'd get up and we'd do the same process. Well, the building's done. The church is growing. We started off with one service, and pretty soon we had two, and things are hopping. There's so much to be done. I'm out, I'm out four nights a week at least. I mean, Monday through Thursday, I'm just not home. Uh, the day would go like this. I'd work in the office 8 to 5 and then run home, have dinner with everybody. 6 o'clock, I'm out the door. I'd be home 9 or 10 o'clock. I mean, it just couldn't, things were going on. And not to mention, I like it. I mean, I like the energy. I like all the excitement of it. I mean, that was our life. Place was booming. One night I was home and I was tucking Sarah into bed. She was probably four, four, five-ish. She was, she was still pretty young. I was tucking her in, and I said, man, I love tucking you in a bed at night. And I said, do you like it too? She said, oh, yeah, I love when you're here to tuck me in. And I said, hey, do you miss me when I'm not here? And she said these words. She said, yeah, I miss you, Dad, when you're not here. It makes me sad. But then I remember you're not dead. <laughs> now, very key. My kids grew up in a pastor's home, which meant when we went to the funeral home for the wake or the calling hours, kids came with us. So they grew up understanding death. 
We had lots of talks. When our, our daughter was young and she went to the first, uh, the first person who had died in the church, we went to the funeral home. We were walking out the door and uh, she stopped to say goodbye to the guy laying in the casket because she knew she wasn't going to see him again. So she, understood, she understands the concept. So when she said to me, it makes me sad when you're not here, but then I remember you're not dead, that got my attention. So I'm sitting there kneeling by the side of the bed. I said, well, what does that mean? I'm not dead. And then she said this. She said, well, you're not home a lot, and there's lots of days. When I don't even see you at all. And it makes me really sad. And then I remember, at least you're not dead. And that makes me feel better. I walked out of the room, kissed her, shut the door, and bawled like a baby. And at that moment, I said, God, something has to change. Now catch this. It's not like I'm out drinking. It's not like I'm out making money. It's not like I'm out going one more sale. I'm doing church work. I'm working for the kingdom of God. And I was completely wrong. Because neglect is also cumulative. And I had missed the fact that there were little pieces of time that I was robbing them of and they, I was robbing myself of. Now, I'll make a statement and then encourage you with a word. I would have given anything in that moment, even though she was just still young, to get any of those days back. Just even one, I'd give anything. Now listen carefully. If you might find yourself in a place where you think to yourself, yeah, those lost days are misspent and I can't get them back. Here's the beauty of how God's grace works. If wherever it is, you sense God telling you, you got to start making those deposits. If you will go and start making those daily deposits of time, God has this unique ability. He can't give you more time. He can't take the time back. Can't do that. But what he does do is he has a way of adding into your account cumulative interest. He has a way in his math of adding to you compounding interest that as you keep putting that time in, you realize, well, I didn't get the time back, but it sure looks like I've made up. Not made up as in some check mark, but it sure looks like he has made up for my lost time. That is the grace of God for anyone who will come before him and say, Lord, I need you, and I'm going to start depositing my time wisely. Paul says this, culture is going to work against you, so be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every moment because this culture will take you where you do not want to go, so live accordingly. Stand, please. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth. In my life, I am thankful for the truth of a five-year-old. That truth of that five-year-old saved me an awful lot of heartache and pain. 
But there's a lot of areas where I knew the wise thing to do and didn't do it. I am so thankful that all is not lost. I'm so thankful that you had this ability with your grace to give this compounding grace interest kind of thing. So for the person that feels like it's lost, might you just encourage them to start now and then watch and see what you do. Dismiss us today in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.